what we're going to do now is another meditation. Okay? Um, this is probably the point in the afternoon where we have to remember that this is not a spiritual spa. Right? Just what, what Father was saying. I don't remember if it was this morning or last night. Okay? Um, this is the point where you were kind of wishing you were in the spa. Um, but these are spiritual exercises, which means you really have to work those muscles. Okay? Um, which means we have another meditation. Okay? Um, as I'm going through the meditation and giving the meditation, um, you will probably experience the temptation to sleep. All right? It's dark outside. It's warm in here. Uh, you know, it's just the nice candles. Everything is so soothing. All right? The sound of my voice will just lull you into, into sleep. Um, we're going to fight against that, all right? So this is when the exercises come in. And it could even get worse after I'm done talking. Because at that point, you won't even have any distractions of me being up here. It's just silence, and you'll have to do the meditation yourself. Um, so we can just invoke the Holy Spirit, our Blessed Mother, all of the saints and angels, just to help us learn how to fight and work out spiritually, OK? Um, it's funny. I was. Um, I played a lot of sports, okay? I was, I was a basketball player. Um, and it's true, you really get to the point where uh, when you're doing like, I don't know if any of you go to the gym or anything, but you're doing those exercises and like lifting weights and everything. Um, and you kind of get to the point where you just don't want to do anymore. Right? It burns, it hurts, you're tired, you just want to like take a shower and go to bed. Um, and at that point, it's really, really helpful when all of a sudden your coach like walks in and he sees that you're not doing anything, and all of a sudden he starts to scream again, and you just start to do it as if you'd never stopped. You're like, oh, yes, you know, 10 more, it's so easy. Um, so those are kind of the saints that are rooting us on right now from heaven, just saying, keep going, it's going to be okay. Uh, just keep making, keep making an effort. Okay, so the name of this meditation in English is the two standards. You might be thinking, what does that mean? Okay, um, these are two standards, like, like two banners. Um, two armies, right? Any, any one of those three titles might help you, right? Two standards, two banners, or two armies. A standard, right, if any of you are familiar with warfare battles, that kind of thing. Um, back in the day, when you actually like went into battle, like on horseback, you know, the typical. You can. This is for those of you who enjoy like the Lord of the Rings, um, maybe Narnia, those kind of movies. This, this, you're gonna enjoy this meditation. Okay. If you don't, you're gonna find out that you also enjoy this meditation, but maybe for other reasons. Okay. Um, so this was back in the day when the armies actually like went into battle, like on foot, like with all the cavalry and you know the archers in the back. Um, all of them would go into battle under like a banner. There was a banner. There was the actually the banner holder, the ban the, like the, the flag bearer. Like he that was his job, right? He didn't. He probably had a sword just in case you know something happened. But his job was literally to just follow the commander around with the banner. Right? So everyone knew what army you were on and where the commander was. Right? Um, I'm actually reading a book right now on St. Joan of Arc. Uh, and she, um, I can tell you all about her once exercises are over, uh, because I can just talk the entire hour. Um, but she uh, received revelations from God, and there were two saints, um, St. Catherine of Alexandria and St. Margaret um, of Antioch. And they were the ones who kind of like spoke to her the most. But then St. Michael the Archangel was there as well, right? He's also a warrior, all right? Battle. St. Michael, whenever you go into battle, you want him on your side, okay? He's the commanding chief of like God's army, of angels, all right? He's a good one to have. Um, but she actually received from these two saints like what the, the banner for the French army at that point had to look like. Uh, and every time she went into battle, she was the one carrying the banner because she, she didn't she didn't fight. Right? She kind of defended herself, but she never actually like fought. She was just there to encourage the men. 
And whenever, like wherever she went, you could just see her banner, like waving. And that's how the men knew St. Joan of Arc is here and everything is going to be okay. Right? So that's how important a banner was. And there was more than one occasion when she was actually injured in battle, you know, and maybe she would fall over and the banner, like, fell with her. Right? And at that point, all of the men are like, oh, no. What are we going to do without her? Right? And every time, like, she would have the men, like, get her back on her feet, even if she couldn't stand by her own strength, just to stand up with the banner again so that people wouldn't lose heart and they would keep fighting. Right? So the banner is actually very important. Okay? That's, that's why there's an entire meditation on the two banners or the two standards or the two armies. Okay? Perfect. So this meditation comes down to making decisions. Whose side am I on and whose side do I want to be on? Right? In reality, whose side am I on right now and whose side would I like to be on? And I think Father Renee mentioned it this morning, but um, Saint Ignatius of Loyola is very systematic in all of his meditations. We're probably going to take some creative liberties. Um, I think Father Renee said that he really enjoys that schematic aspect of things. Um, you know, if you if it helps you. Just go for it. If you have to skip a couple things, not the important things, but just like the, the points and, and get to the to the root, that's fine, that's fine too. Okay? Um, but St. Ignatius always starts his meditations with the exact same prayer. And it's this. He says, we ask God to give us grace so that all of our intentions, actions, and operations may be directed purely to the service and praise of his divine majesty. Right? Very technical sounding prayer. Right? What we're asking is that the Holy Spirit come and guide every aspect of our prayer during this meditation. Right? We ask him to guide our thoughts, not only so that we don't get distracted, but also so that we actually think what he wants us to think. We ask him to guide our imagination, right? Because we're going to see in just a minute, um, St. Ignatius encourages the use of the imagination to help us to enter into these meditations. We ask the Holy Spirit to guide our words and our petitions as we begin to speak to God and ask for his help, right? And we ask him to guide our will and to strengthen our will as well because in, when you're exercising and things are difficult, it all comes down to whether or not you're willing to make the effort. Right? So we need the Holy Spirit to help us there as well. Okay? So we ask the Lord to direct, to direct all of us towards his service and his praise. Which is really what we were created for. So it's a good prayer. Okay. So, as I said just a moment ago, Saint Ignatius encourages us to use our meditation in these, uh, to use our imagination in these meditations, which is why this morning Father Rene said that like the first step usually for Saint Ignatius is like even before you get into the meditation is just to imagine like the backdrop, imagine the scene where all of this is going to take place. Um, we're kind of going to do everything all at once, but then, you know. It's helpful for you just to take a step back and just imagine the scenery. That's fine. Don't get too distracted with the flowers and whatever else you might have in your scenery, right? Um, but if it's helpful for you, that's that's fantastic. Father or, um, Saint, Saint Ignatius found it helpful. Um, so the backdrop for this basically is going to be we're going we're going to take a look at the two armies. We're going to take a look at the two armies that are in this battle, right? And we need to understand from the get-go, this battle is for your soul, right? There are two armies fighting for your soul. But you get to, to decide which army you want to win, right? So this isn't a battle that's going on, like, far, far away, right? This is a daily battle inside of your heart. 
And to imagine these two armies, we're going to imagine two different fields. Um, one of the fields is going to have the good army, and one of the fields is going to have the bad army. All right. Um, we're going to start with the bad one, just to be able to end on a good note. Um, and because Saint Ignatius, you know, he—that's what—that's what he said. He's—he's he's very systematic in, in in his meditations. Like this, this right here, in quite large print, is like his instructions for how to do this meditation. So it's just like point one, point two, point three, and that's it. You just got to take it and and run with it. Um, we're gonna try to to fill in a little bit more. The whole idea here with with meditations is that even while in this case me, and even while the person is giving the meditation, it should start to be a meditation for you, right? If I'm up here going through the meditations, and not just point by point, but actually trying to elaborate on the points, it's to help you later on to enter into the meditation. But if you can do that while you're listening to me and while you're taking notes, it's just gonna help you later on, okay? so that's why sometimes the meditations aren't as long as the talks, but it's more than just like step one, step two, step three, to be able to help you to enter into an atmosphere of prayer and actually start to imagine th these things while we're going through it. And then once things get rolling, you know, that's, that's when I leave and you're just here with the Lord, okay? Um, so the first thing, the first thing we know, St. Ignatius tells us why we're going to do this meditation. We already said the prayer, and in every single meditation, he kind of tells you what the purpose of that meditation is, which is at the same time something that you're asking for. You're asking God to help you to actually live the meditation well and achieve that purpose. And he says, St. Ignatius says that as the fruit of this meditation, we are asking the Lord to give us knowledge of the deceits of the bad chief, the bad army, and help to guard myself against them, and knowledge of the true life which the supreme and true captain shows and grace to imitate him. Right? So on one side, we're asking the Lord to help us to understand how the devil works, what his tactics are, what he's doing to try to destroy your soul, to be able to recognize that, and to guard myself against those attacks. And at the same time, we're asking for knowledge of who our commander is and knowledge of the life that he's offering us. And then grace to be able to, to, be able to imitate him. Because right? the grace is going to give us the strength to be able to imitate him. I'm sure all of you have had the experience of like wanting to do something and wanting to do something good and really wanting to. And as soon as you kind of set yourself to it, you fail because you just, you don't have the strength, right? That's why we ask for knowledge and we also ask for the strength to be able to imitate God, to be able to imitate Jesus and all that he's, he's doing. So the first point of this med meditation is to imagine this is what St. Ignatius says. Imagine how the chief of all the enemy seats himself in the great field of Babylon in a great chair of fire and smoke in shape horrible and terrifying. All right? That's, that's step one. Right? So what do we have to do? We have to imagine that. Right? We have to imagine the devil in the field outside of Babylon. I doubt maybe you have. Some, have any of you ever been to Babylon? I have not been to Babylon. Okay. Um, why Babylon? Because in the Bible, Babylon is kind of the image of the enemy city, right? So just imagine a huge field, right? And the devil is seated on a great chair of fire and smoke, in shape, horrible and terrifying. This is the part where it could be helpful to your imagination to remember certain scenes from The Lord of the Rings, right? Because that whole movie is kind of based around this battle between good and evil, and it's very, very graphic, right? 
in in that movie there is no or in that it's a book really there's no mistake between like good and evil like as soon as you see one of the bad guys you know he's bad because he is just ugly and gross and nothing that you want to actually meet in real life right so if it's if it's helpful for you to remember those scenes remember them but don't get distracted thinking about the storyline of the movie right but what we want to do here is imagine the devil seated on a throne in the middle of a field and everything about him and everything around the field is just hatred and darkness right the field is probably more of a desert than anything else right It says in the description from St. Ignatius that his throne is made of smoke and fire, right? He's burning, but he is not burning with love, right? This is a fire that wants to destroy you and consume you and annihilate you. And if the devil is there on his throne, there are probably demons around him as well, right? And his little minions, are serving him. But we have to imagine how the demons approach the devil, right? They're there to serve him, but it's not the type of service that we're gonna see later on when we imagine Jesus. There is absolutely no friendship between Satan and the demons. There is no love. Everything is just fear, and hatred. They hate the one they're serving just as they fear him. Each one of them is entirely alone and closed off to any kind of relationship with anyone else. The only thing that unites them is their common mission. All of them have rejected God and vowed to wage war on man for all eternity. That's the only thing that's keeping what could look like unity between them. And I know it's hard to imagine this kind of hatred and this kind of darkness and this kind of evil. But we know that if the devil could, he would kill God himself. If the devil were capable of killing God, he would do it. Knowing that God is pure love and pure goodness, right? This is a hatred so strong that if he could, he would destroy God forever. But he can't because he's a creature and he's weak. And because of that, he's decided to wage war on the creature that God loves most, us. Because he can destroy us, but only if we let him. And this hatred comes from pride, pure pride. The devil does not want to submit himself to anyone. He wishes that he were God. And that's why he decided he would not serve God. So this is the kind of evil and the kind of hatred and the kind of darkness that we see in this army. Right, so that's, that's the first point, just imagining all of that hatred and all of that darkness, and Satan seated on his throne of fire and smoke. And the second point is to consider how he, St. Ignatius says, how he issues a summons to innumerable demons and how he scatters them, some to one city and some to another, and so through all the world, not omitting any provinces, places, states, nor any persons in particular. This is the part in the Lord of the Rings when 
the Dark Lord starts to gather all evil to himself, right? And you have all of the orcs and all of the goblins that just climb out of whatever holes they've been in for the last hundred years, and they start to make their way to Mordor. And all of the evil men who want to serve him start to bring all of their armies to where the Dark Lord is, right? This is what Satan's doing. He's calling to himself everything that is evil and everything that wants to be evil. Because you are not evil, but you can choose to be on his army. Right? If you've seen Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? there's a scene in there as well that helps to portray this as they're kind of gathered around the stone table and, and the White Witch gathers all of the evil creatures to herself and then they kill Aslan, right? That's the scene. Everything that is foul, everything that is an enemy to God or an enemy to you, the devil is calling all of that to himself to be able to send it out throughout all the world, every city, every province, every person, seeking the destruction of every human being. Right? So all of a sudden the entire field is just covered in darkness, in an innumerable army of evil, and everything is hatred, right? They're all pushing one another, everyone is blaspheming, it's just pride and envy and hatred. That's the devil's army. So the third point of this meditation, right? We've got the devil, we've got his army, and now we have to imagine kind of the speech or the discourse that the devil wants to make to his army. Right? In all of the movies, this is like the most climactic moment because this is when like the commander is supposed to like give his troops a pep talk and get them to fight, right? So, as we imagine what the devil might be saying to his army, what we know is that everything is hatred and everything is destruction. Everything is just go and kill and destroy everything that lives, everything that is good. Destroy the race of men and drag them all to hell. Every last one of them. And do anything and everything you can to do that. There are no limits. And the thing that St. Ignatius talks about in this third point is that he actually begins to go through some of the tactics of the devil. Right? Because the devil sends out his army and tells them to destroy everything that is good, but then he actually tells them certain things about how to do that. Right? And St. Ignatius tells us um, that he's going to do this in three ways. In three ways he's going to tempt us to leave the service of God and to fall under his power. Right? And the first one, he's going to tempt us first with riches, then with honor, and then with pride. And this is the part of the meditation where you, where we have to invoke the Holy Spirit again and ask him to give us light to be able to see how the devil is working in our life. Where are the temptations coming from? What am I being tempted in? Maybe there's areas that I'm not even realizing that I'm being tempted and the devil is just having a free-for-all in my life, right? So St. Ignatius says that the devil always tempts us first with riches. Why riches? Riches are very attractive, right? Money, power, usually because it gives you some kind of security, right? If I have money, I can get everything else. 
If I have money, what he wants to lead you to eventually is pride. If you have money, you don't have to depend on anyone. You can do whatever you want. Just do it. Right? Riches are very tempting. You can just think of your own life right now. How many things would you love to have? How many times when you're sitting in front of the television and you see the commercials, you're just like, oh, I wish I could have that. How many times you're saving up to buy like one more thing that you don't really need, but you just want it. And all of your effort and all of your money and all of your time goes into getting one more thing. For what? When you die, that's staying here. You're not taking any of your possessions with you after you die. Which means the devil is tempting a whole lot of people to spend their entire life, their sole purpose in life, is to get the biggest house they can, to live as comfortably as possible, to be able to give everything to their children they could ever want, and they spend all of their time and all of their energy and all of their effort getting those things, and when they die, it all stays here. And they present themselves before the Lord with empty hands. And they haven't loved. That's what Father Luke was talking about beforehand. The selfishness. You've lived your life for yourself. Trying to get as many things as you can living as comfortably as possible, and forgetting about everyone else. That's one of the tactics of the devil, materialism. If I'm so full of things, I don't have time to think about what's more important in life. I don't have time to think about what's going to happen after death. And if I never stop to think about it, I'm never going to change. I'm just running after one thing, after another, after another, after another. All right, the, it's, it's interesting, but like the, the cell phone company, the mobile companies, right? Apple, any of those things, when they bring out a new product, it's not because all of a sudden someone just like came up with a new piece of technology. And since they're so generous and so loving, they just want to make that technology available to you as soon as possible. Everything is planned, right? They have technologies already thought up, already programmed and working that they're not going to give to the public to be bought for another five years. Why? Because everything is set up in a series so that you buy one and then they can offer you another one and you buy that one and they offer you another one that has a slightly different thing, right? And you want to buy that one and you spend your entire life going from one thing to another without ever thinking about anything else, right? This is the devil. Fill your life with things and forget about God. The second thing that he tempts us with is honor. Honor, vainglory. I want everyone to love me and everyone to like me and everyone to appreciate me. And it doesn't matter what it takes to get that. I just need you to think well of me. This is a huge slavery. Right? One of the freest moments in your life will be when you can finally say, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks of me. I can actually make a decision in front of God without worrying about what everyone else is going to say. Right? When I stand in my room in the morning and I decide what to put on, I can finally ask God, God, is this modest? Is this something that you want me to wear? And it won't matter to me anymore what my friends are going to say or how ridiculous I think I look, right? That's freedom. Everything the devil is offering you is slavery, right? He will tempt you over and over and over and over again with honor, vainglory, get better grades. Why? Because think people will think highly of you. And if I have to stop going to Mass, or stop going to youth group, or stop praying to have more time to study and get better grades, don't worry. The grades are more important. Or your sports are more important. Can't you see that God gave you a special gift for sports? You should dedicate all your time to sports. 
or all your time to music, or all your time to studies. I mean, each of you has to look at your own life and see what is the devil trying to deceive us with? What temptations are we experiencing? Right? And then the third thing, all of this eventually is leading to pride. Selfishness. Me, 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 me. Right? Just spending my day thinking about me. There's a bishop in the United States who I think is finally going to be beatified. His name is Fulton Sheen. Um, and he wrote several books about women, right? And what it means to be a woman. And in one of his quotes, he says something along the lines of, um, he's talking about how women are made to give, to give of themselves to others. The happiest moments in your, of your life are those moments when you've been able to forget about yourself and just give yourself to those around you, right? A mother when she's taking care of her children and she doesn't care that she has to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. She's giving of herself and she's not even looking at herself anymore. And she's happier than she's ever been, even though she's only slept two and a half hours, right? But he says something along the lines of, a woman's most difficult moments are when she is unable to give of herself. When she wants to give of herself and for the different circumstances in life, she can't, right? But her most hellish moments are when she refuses to give of herself. That's pride. I refuse to give of myself, right? Pride is the worst of the capital sins. Pride is the devil. And St. Ignatius says that from these three things, from riches, honor, and pride, come all of the other vices and all of the other sins. Right? So whatever you may be struggling with in your life, right, it all goes back to one of these roots. So as you do this meditation, ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten you, just to be aware of how the devil is tempting you and in what kind of things you're falling. Asking at the same time for the strength to fight against those temptations. Right? So that's, that's the first half. We made it through the bad part. Right? Now we get to take a look at the heavenly army. Okay? So St. Ignatius says, the first point, all right, so we're, we're going to switch scenes, we can leave behind the desert and all of the evil, right? The first point in this part of the meditation is to consider how Christ our Lord puts himself in a great field in the region of Jerusalem, in a lowly place, beautiful and attractive. Right? There's, there's no more fire, there's more, no more smoke. Okay. We have to imagine Jesus in a beautiful field. Right? It, it's, a, it's a field because the army has to fit there. Right? In a beautiful, lowly, attractive place. Right? If while we were imagining where the devil was, all we wanted to do was to get out of there as soon as possible. Right? Everything here is inviting you to stay here forever. I'm going to read a quote very quickly just from the book of, of Revelation um, that I think is helpful to imagine this scene because the book of Revelation actually tells us at one point, uh, it gives a, a symbolic description of Jesus as head of the army of God. So it's um, Revelation, or Apocalypse, chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. Chapter 19, 11 through 16, if you want to take a look at it later. And it says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. He who sat upon it is called Faithful and True, 
and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name inscribed which no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, wearing fine linen, white and pure, followed him on white horses. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name, inscribed, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is our captain. This is our commander. Jesus has conquered death itself, and he stands before us even now in the Eucharist as the victorious king. The victory is his. He offers that victory to us, right? The, there's a, you know, the typical saying, like, you may have won the battle, but you, the war is mine, all right? You're not going to win the war, right? With, with Jesus, it's kind of the opposite, all right? The war is won. The victory is his. The devil has been defeated, and death has been conquered, thanks to his sacrifice and death on the cross. But the battle for each and every one of our souls, that's what's going on right now. And the Lord wants to bring that victory into our lives, but we have to let him, and we have to choose. So this says the one who sits on the throne, right? the one who, Jesus, as he rides out as the commander-in-chief of this army, he is called faithful and true. He is the only one who will always, always, always be faithful to us with a love that never fails. No one else can be that faithful because everyone else has some kind of weakness, some kind of defect. The fidelity that you are longing for can only be found in him. And it says that his eyes are like flames of fire. That's an image of the love that he has for you and the love and the power that is in his gaze when he looks at you. And it's important to hear what Father was saying earlier. Don't put humanity as a whole, like in here, right? It's, it's when he looks at you, I'm filling your name, the fire that burns in his eyes and in his heart when he looks at you. And it also describes that he's wearing a cloth, a robe dipped in blood. Right? Which at first you're like, oh, that's, that's kind of gross. You know? Why would I want to go close to him if his, his robe is literally, I mean, just imagine like a robe, right? Kind of, kind of like this, this cloth here on the table, you know, it's kind of heavy, falls nicely. Imagine that, imagine it white, right? And then literally like dipped in blood, right? So the entire bottom part is just like dripping with blood, right? What in the world is that? I thought we were supposed to imagine something like attractive here, okay? His robe is dipped in blood because it's the price that he paid to win your soul. He gave all of his blood to save you. You cannot approach him except through this blood. This blood for us is life, and it is health. And it's what will save you, what has saved you from your sins. That's why he's still wearing the robe, because it's the proof that you belong to him, that he already paid the price, and that the devil has no power over you. No power unless you give it to him. So Jesus is enthroned in this field as king and also as a warrior. And we have to imagine him as commander of the army. Right? And St. Ignatius doesn't include this part in his, you know, meditation right now, but common sense would tell us that if Jesus is there, like Mary's really close by, right? And Mary is the perfect example of someone who gave herself 
entirely to Jesus. So just as in the other, when we did the first part of the meditation, we were imagining the demons who were serving the devil. We can imagine Mary and the saints and the angels serving Jesus. And the kind of relationship and the kind of love and the kind of goodness that reigns in that atmosphere. If the demons were there because of hatred and fear, Mary is there because she loves Jesus and will serve him and follow him and love him no matter what, even to the point of being present with him on the cross. What unites them is not just a common cause. What unites them is love itself. And love actually has the power to unite two people and make them one. So Jesus is on the throne. Mary is there. And Jesus begins to call all of the army to himself, right? So all the saints come, all the angels come. You can imagine your favorite saint there on the field, you know, ready for battle, ready for war, ready to fight. And he sends them through all the world, spreading his sacred doctrine through all states and conditions of persons. So just as the devil sent out all of his minions to destroy men, Jesus sends out all of his army and all of us to save souls, right? This battle is for your soul, and this battle is for the soul of everyone on the face of the earth. And so you can also think about just kind of doing an examination of conscience as well. How do I live my relationship with other people? Am I aware of the fact that there is a battle going on for their soul and that I need to play a part in that battle? I need to minister to my friends. If I have found the truth and I have found the light and I have found the love of God, I need to give that to others. Because if I don't, they could die. And this is a death that lasts forever. So the third part of, of this meditation is to imagine the speech, the discourse that Jesus gives. Right? So these are the good guys. This is like the climactic moment, you know, the Lord of the Rings, when the king of Gondor, the king of Rohan comes out, right? And he's encouraging his army and telling them why they have to fight. And I would encourage you when you get to this point in your meditation, let the Lord speak to you. Let him touch your heart because this, this is the part where he just wants to look at you and love you and make you realize that that love is every reason you need to fight this fight. Everything else is extra. It is the only love worth fighting for. And it's yours to have. All you have to do is let him. And ask him at the same time, ask him to look at you. Ask him just to like gaze into your soul and with the power of his love just to break the attachments that you have to sin. Just to break everything in your life that still keeps you kind of following behind the other army. Just to shatter it all with the power of his blood. And here, St. Ignatius kind of puts the three things as well. Just like he talked about Satan's tactics, he talks about the tactics that Jesus has as well. And he says there are three things that Jesus invites us to embrace and to ask for. And he says the first thing he invites us to ask for is to love poverty more than riches. Right? If the devil tempts us with riches, the antidote to that is to love poverty. Right? And St. Ignatius of Loyola, in this moment, he actually talks about the importance of being open to the possibility that God is calling me 
to live real poverty, to literally leave everything and follow him, to be open to it. Because he says if there's kind of a rebellion in your heart just thinking about that, you're not where you need to be. If you're not open to that possibility, you're not where you need to be yet. You're still attached to the riches and you're attached to the things of this world. The heart of poverty is that Jesus is your only treasure. He's your only, your only richness. The only thing, the only value that you possess is Jesus. Right? And on a spiritual level, every single person is called to live this. You can have material things, but you can't let those material things have your heart. Your heart belongs to God and God alone. So we ask the Lord to give us a love of poverty. That's the first one. The second one, we have to actually ask the Lord to help us to desire, this is difficult, to desire to be ridiculed and treated with contempt. And you're probably thinking, yeah, right. Why would I ever want to be ridiculed and treated with contempt? But this is the antidote to vainglory. Jesus himself was ridiculed. He himself lowered himself to be humiliated, stripped in public, spat upon, and nailed to a tree. That's the first reason that we ask him to allow this to happen to us as well, to imitate him for love of him. And the second reason is to really be truly free to follow him in humility. I won't be able to follow the Lord completely until I'm willing to be utterly ridiculed and disdained and looked upon with contempt by everyone else, and it just doesn't matter anymore. The only thing that matters is following Jesus. That's true freedom. And the third thing that we're asking for is the grace to be able to reject pride and to live a life of humility. Right? These three things lead us to humility. Right? If I love poverty, if I desire to be ridiculed, that will lead me to humility. Humility, St. Teresa says, it means to walk in the truth. And the truth is that God is God and I am not. That God is God and I'm a creature. And he's going to take care of everything, and he's all-powerful, and he loves me. So what am I worried about? That's humility. So we can examine our lives in these three virtues. Poverty, being ridiculed, and humility. And then St. Ignatius tells us to end this meditation with three dialogues. Right? If, the di if the meditation on sin, there was only one dialogue, this time there's three. But as Father Rene said this morning, if there's any particular point through this meditation that helps you, just stay, stay there. Stay there until you've thoroughly soaked it in and then move on to the next point. There's no need to rush through it. If you don't make it through all of it, don't worry. That's why you write this down. You can go back over it in the weeks to come. Right? Just take it slow. And the first dialogue is with Our Lady, with Our Blessed Mother. This time we do need her help, right? We need her to help us. And we're asking her to get me the grace from her son, right? We're asking Our Lady to go to Jesus and to ask him to receive me into his army, to receive me under his standard. First, this is what St. Ignatius says, first in the highest spiritual poverty, that Our Lady would grant us the grace of having our heart free for God. That Jesus would truly be our only treasure, spiritually. Then it goes on to say, and if his divine majesty would be served and would want to choose and receive me, 
then we ask the grace as well to be received in actual poverty. That the Lord would look at me like he looked at the disciples and say to me, leave everything behind and follow me. If he wants, it's up to him. But this is what St. Ignatius tells us to ask Our Lady, to ask Jesus. If Jesus wants to call me, if he will be served and loved, ask him to call me. The second thing that we're supposed to ask that Our Lady gets for us is to be able to suffer those ridicules. Right, it's the three things that we just went through. That's what we're actually going to ask Our Lady to go to Jesus and ask for us. We're asking Our Lady to send us humiliations, to be ridiculed and looked upon with contempt. This is serious stuff. No, normal, normally, you know, you probably wouldn't ask for this. <laughs> right? In order to imitate Jesus, And the third thing that we're asking for is humility. And St. Ignatius says that we should end that dialogue with our Blessed Mother. Just talk to her. But end that dialogue with a Hail Mary. Just praying a Hail Mary to our Blessed Mother. But if, if you spend the entire hour talking to our Blessed Mother, that's fine. Just explain to her all the reasons why you don't want to live poverty and all the reasons that you don't want to be ridiculed and all the reasons that you would prefer pride. Right? Just get it all out there and listen to what she says to you. She's a mother. And she knows how to guide us. Right? And the th that's the first dialogue. Right? The second dialogue, you're going to ask for all of those things again but this time you're talking to Jesus and you're asking him to ask those things for you from the Father does that make sense? the first time you're asking for those things from our Blessed Mother right? that she would go to Jesus to grant you those graces now you're going to Jesus and asking him to go to the Father to get you those graces right? and then the third dialogue you go directly to the Father right? and you ask him to grant you those graces. Right? Which means we're going to ask at least three times that the Lord would please grant us at least the grace to want these graces. And that third dialogue, we finish within our Father. Okay? Um, so now we have time to actually do this meditation. Right? So um, it's a good idea what Father Rene said this morning. Because sometimes the temptation can be like, okay, I'm going to do like half the meditation, and then I just need to get up and move, right? And so you go to the toilet or you go wherever, wherever, whatever need suddenly occurs to you, and you get distracted, and you come back, and it's really hard to finish the second half, right? So if you have to go anywhere, now would be the time to do that, so that when you can come back, you can just kneel down and do the meditation, okay? So we're going to pray a Hail Mary together just to um, ask our Blessed Mother to send us the Holy Spirit and to guide us through this meditation. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.